This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Comcast. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to getting connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. And today, our annual holiday tradition, unlike any other, the Can't Let It Go Year in Spectacular. The moment we all dun, wait dun, dun, dun. for all year. I, I'm up Yeah, it is dance. all the things that we have not been able to stop thinking about this year, politics I've never done this before. or otherwise. And we will start with two very familiar voices. Danielle Kurtzleben and Franco Ordonez. Hello. Hi. Danielle, no pressure. Start start this off. I never feel pressure. I'm a pro. All right. We're going to talk about this. Uh, The thing I can't let go of this year is the fervor over Ron DeSantis's boots. Now, to be clear, to be clear here. I am not my can't let it go is not his boots themselves. I take no position as a professional reporter who reports on Ron DeSantis. But I, not fashion. I take no position. Also, I'm I'm bad at fashion. No, but like I take no position on whether he's wearing them, whether it matters. I'll be honest. There's probably some voters out there who subconsciously want a taller president. And you know what? That's a bad reason to vote for someone. But I it, it were a candidate to wear lifts. You go right on ahead. Uh, but and his campaign has denied it, correct? His campaign has said this is absolutely stupid. Like, they barely dignify it. They've I, it, dismissed it, yes. not denied it. Well, so this is the thing, though, just the amount of scrutiny and energy, like, on TikTok, the way that this has turned into a conspiracy theory for people, in particular, the thing that I'm thinking about is this, is a political magazine story where the reporter reached out to quote-unquote expert bootmakers from the world over, and they zoomed in on photos of Ron DeSantis's boots and were like, all right, what do you think? Is he wearing them or not? And the bootmakers, a few of them were like, yeah, he is. But just like, I, that is what we call reporting the livid bejesus out of a story, is reaching out to <laughs> expert bootmakers. On, like, it's silly. It's it's inconsequential someday we're all going to look back on this mainly when we hear it as a pub trivia question. It's not the you know? boot itself. It's the attention that is your can't let it go. Yes. Yeah. Just like, oh. The attention like, to the boot. It's, you know, it, politics is a serious business so often. And when there's a sideshow that, that gets people's attention, it always grabs mine because, you know what, it's something else to think about. And I will say this. Recently, I was at a campaign event, and you guys know this as radio reporters – there's a little press gaggle around a candidate at the end of a thing. And if you're as a radio person, you either have a long pole your mic is on or you squat down in front of everybody. So I'm down on my knees and I'm holding my mic out. And I asked a serious probing question about child poverty. 
And later I found myself, I was like, huh, I'm on eye level. I found myself looking at his boots a little bit and thinking, <laughs> maybe. And I realized, nope, Danielle, you have brain nope. worms. You nope. have brain worms. Put Stop. it out. Yeah. This that, is so dumb. That said, this is also a very Danielle can't let it go because... Throughout your entire time on our team, you have been obsessed with masculinity oh, in yeah. politics. And you have also, um, yeah, you have been obsessed with masculinity in politics. Yeah. And look, like the the attacks on Ron DeSantis for the boot lifts from like Vivek Ramaswamy and Donald Trump, I, I feel fine voicing this opinion. It's been juvenile. It's been juvenile and ridiculous. So like uh, my can't let it go is that this is a little bit of levity and inconsequential nonsense, but... Distracting nonsense during this whole presidential campaign. Unless you're an expert bootmaker. Yes. In which, which case, it's serious business. That is not my side hustle, so I feel fine. <laughs> Franco, why can't you let go of? Speaking of masculinity, I want to get y'all's thoughts on a little bit of femininity. Because what my issue is and what I can't let go is Barbie. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, good, bad. I mean, here I am, guys, for years, for years, trying to convince my mom not to buy my daughter (laughs) another Barbie doll. My mom gets mad at me. My daughter gets mad at me. She's telling me, why won't you let Lala buy me another Barbie doll? Lala's how they call my mom. And I'm trying to explain, you know, the problems with the gender norms, the unrealistic body image. I am trying to be Props, a Dad. good father, good husband. And then this year, <laughs> on her 12th birthday, she's got all her girlfriends watching yep. the Barbie movie. And I'm like, as my son would say, what the? You know, I, I, what? what the John is what my kids say. I don't know why. Capitalism gets you every is, time, Franco. I don't know what to tell you. Is she now a feminist icon? I mean, how am I supposed to supposed to look at this and you know what is the you know the damage that I put on my my relationship with my mother was it all worth it well just look at it through rose colored glasses uh <laughs> I don't know <laughs> was that like, was that was that in the movie I, no I, I, I think it's Tam movie. making a pink joke you haven't seen the movie look I can't give you any advice on what to do for your daughter I do th- like it was a fun movie though like I, I... is Barbie good is Barbie good? Yeah. God, we can we have Barbie an hour long can we have an hour long podcast about Barbie as a feminist icon, like or not? Because I would do that. I I don't know. Is the movie good? The movie's fun. No, it's I'm not funny. talking about the movie. The no. movie's the movie's very good. I personally would I buy a Barbie for my kid? No, but you know, you do you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are done with this segment. Oh, so man. thank you both for coming here and telling us what you can't let go of. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, more that we can't let go of. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone. 
the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Hey there, everybody. It's Peter Sagal. On our show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's usually just jokes. But a man cannot live on dad jokes alone. Sometimes you need to express your trauma that haunts you and drives you, as I did on a bonus episode just for Wait, Wait Plus supporters. A deep dish pizza hurt me. That's right. For a chance to hear the raw, real, revealing truth, sign up for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Plus at plus.npr.org in order to feel my pain. And we are back with us now, a few more friends, Deirdre Walsh, Ashley Lopez, and Susan Davis. Hello. Hi there. Now, as we always say for Can't Let It Go, it's politics or otherwise, and you all are bringing the politics, or so I hear. I have no idea what you're actually bringing. Sue, kick us off. Oh, how do we end 2023 and not talk about the life and death of the speakership of (laughs) Kevin McCarthy? As much as Deirdre and I probably would like to not ever think about this year again, I, I just think that it was such a defining political story, not just for the fate of the speaker himself, but everything it told us about the state of the Republican Party, uh, the overwhelming loyalty to Trump, and the really sharp divisions inside this majority that, you know, spoiler, I think give us a good primer for what to expect in 2024. You mean like we could have another 19 speaker votes? You know, let's I, let's not. Hey, 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 let's let's not. <laughs> I'm still recovering from this year. Uh, but I, I think Sue is right. I mean, it just that whole arc of Kevin McCarthy's speakership says so much about the moment we're at in politics in terms of like the bitter divisions inside the House Republican Conference. They continue to this day. And just personally, it was so odd. I was in the chamber watching the impeachment vote. And McCarthy was standing at the back of the chamber looking around and a few people were coming up and like shaking his hand because essentially like these were the final days of his career in the House of Representatives. And then I just flash back to this crazy moment in January on vote 15 where things sort of turned around when he made this deal with Matt Gates, and he finally got the votes to be elected speaker. But then that exact deal is what took him out. Yeah. I feel like this is also a tale about hitching your political fortunes to Donald Trump and what ultimately happens to basically anyone who hitches their political fortunes to Donald Trump. I do think we haven't seen the last of Kevin McCarthy. I think his 2024 will be a little bit about a revenge tour. We'll see. He certainly uh, has made it clear that he'd still like to play some kind of role in politics. I can imagine that part of that role might be raising money and finding primary challenges to the lawmakers that voted against him and ultimately throw him out. I mean, in his final days in office, he still seems like a pretty bitter man about him. He puts forward a bit of a sunny, you know, I have no regrets, I would do it all over again. But over the course of losing his speakership and everything that followed in the weeks after, his anger and bitterness towards people like Matt Gates and Nancy Mace is really palpable. And he still has a lot of allies in the Republican Party. And so I could see him trying to be a bit of a troublemaker next year. Well, we will be watching. Ashley, what can't you let go of? Um, Well, I guess staying in the House of Representatives, what I have not been able 
to let go of this year is George Santos. Oh my uh, God. Yes. <laughs> it is like truly staggering to think about the amount of times this year that I have stared at either on my computer or phone mouth agape because of something I read about uh, this now former Republican member of Congress. And I, you know what strikes me? It's so wild to think that like everything, like when we first started hearing about him, we only really got to know him once he was elected. And like all this barrage of like nonstop news has come in. And it's just like really stunning. If anyone wants like a pretty good breakdown of like a, a, a list of all the, you know, alleged lies, like Santos has told the New York, New York magazine put together, uh, compiled a pretty good list. And I was reading through it this morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's some like other things that I forgot, like when he claimed to be a Broadway producer at some point. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, he, I missed that one. Yeah. He apparently told some donors that he helped produce a uh, Spider-Man Turn off the dark, and of wow. course, folks associated with uh, that production say, "Like, yeah, he was not involved in that." What also, are you talking about? that production was catastrophic, and not something yeah. you would want to claim to have any hand in. It's such a weird. If it's a lie, it's such a weird lie. Like, why try to like attach yourself to something so unpopular? And I mean, there were some really dark ones too. Like he claimed he had family members um, and colleagues involved in like various tragedies uh, ranging from the Holocaust to the Pulse nightclub uh, and 9-11. It was it's just so weird. But my favorite, though, um, I don't know if you guys remember this one, which is he like also allegedly lied about founding an animal charity. Oh, this (laughs) is terrible. This one was just awful. Yeah. I'm like, why lie about that? Anyways, I I have not been able to look away. It's like a, a car wreck. Oh, but come on. The best, I think, was when he w- was called out for not actually having Jewish ancestors. And oh, he said, oh, one. but I'm Jewish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, heavy on the ish. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to describe this the whole case after he was expelled from Congress to someone. And I was like, look, all public corruption's bad. I- I'm not yeah. defending public corruption. But there is an element of ridiculousness yeah. to his public corruption that y- you almost have to laugh at. That is different than like, if a lawmaker was selling national secrets or undermining national security, there are levels of severity to public corruption. Yeah, and his, absolutely. you know, using your public funds to get Botox, I'm sorry. <laughs> and <laughs> Hermes. You know, like, and bad fillers. Yeah, like there's an element of uh, almost satire and comedy to the level of corruption that he is alleged to have commit uh, that I'm sorry. I, I've, he has given me a lot of laughs. He gave me a lot of laughs in 2023 and the legal system will seal his fate soon enough. He's also haunting his uh, former Republican colleagues because as Sue talked about on uh, a previous podcast, he has a new career on Cameo um, yeah. and Ooh, yeah. a Democrat sent me uh, something that he posted. I can't. I don't know if it was on on uh, Twitter or X or Cameo, but it was essentially after the New York um, redistricting case came down, which will be a big uh, factor in sort of whether the Republicans control the House in 2024. Santos is weighing in, basically saying to his former Republican colleagues, "I'm here to give you some tips on your career. Maybe you can join me on Cameo." Essentially, like you won't be in the House anymore. It was like. These were people that used to serve with, and now you're trolling them. Uh, I mean, the guy has absolutely no shame. Um, And that was another lesson that we learned about uh, 2023 on Capitol Hill. Like, shame was not a strong point for members of Congress. In the reality TV-ification of our politics, he is a perfect character. Yeah, I will say this. If there is a movie made about this man, I will watch it. Oh, 
Yes. There will be a movie. I think somebody's already uh, bought option to book. Uh, I think George Santos uh, is producing it. (laughs) (laughs) Even if he's not, he will say he is. Oh, my gosh. Deirdre, what can't you let go of? One thing I can't let go of this year is with all the big stories we covered on Capitol Hill, you know, avoiding a default on the country's debt, avoiding a shutdown, uh, unprecedented ouster of a speaker, There was this whole debate about the dress code on Capitol Hill. Oh, yeah. And how, um, you know, there was this swift move to change the dress code in the Senate. And the typical dress code in the Senate is business attire. Male members of the Senate wear suits and ties. Female members wear office-appropriate attire. Uh, And Senator Fetterman traditionally wears cargo shorts and hoodies. And so... There was bipartisan backlash in the Senate where they were allowing him to vote in his typical attire that he's pretty much worn throughout his career, even before he was elected to the Senate. And it just cracks me up because it's sort of like, don't we have more important things to do around here? I mean, on the dress code front, I personally have a beef up here is because you love to wear cargo shorts. No. (laughs) And Carhartt sweatshirts. I I did see Senator Fetterman go in to vote recently with a Steelers hat and cargo shorts on. Um, He was not presiding, so he was allowed to duck in there and vote. Um, If he's presiding or walks on the floor, uh, the deal now is he should be wearing appropriate Senate attire, which is a suit. But we run around this place that has really hard marble floors and treacherous stairs where you're chasing after people during all these crazy stories and they kick you out of the speaker's lobby as a reporter if you're wearing sneakers Mm. and i think maybe i'm getting a little bit older but it's a lot easier to maneuver this place if you have comfortable shoes on and sometimes i do wear sneakers explain what the speaker's lobby is real quick the speaker's lobby is an area right outside the house floor where reporters frequently can um, talk to lawmakers during vote series. And it's sort of like the go-to spot if you're looking for someone in particular or if there's a lot going on and you want to sort of catch up with people. And they've really cracked down this year for some reason, not on lawmakers who wear all kinds of versions of sneakers, including the top House Democrat who wears uh, sneakers with his suits. That's Hakeem Jeffries. But uh, reporters are not allowed to wear sneakers. And I think, like, let's focus on the bigger problems and not worry so much about what reporter shoes are or freak out about the dress code. Like, I can't imagine, like, the average voter, like, how high whether or not everyone in Congress looks like they're at a country club ranks in their list of grievances with Congress. <laughs> with like, Congress. I, just, yeah, I just don't I just don't think that matters well, much. Maybe if everybody was wearing hoodies, the American people would like them more. They can't like you know, them less. Yeah, <laughs> it could only help. And there are senators from both sides of the aisle who frequently show up to votes uh, that don't have on um, the typical attire. I mean, some are coming from the gym. Some are coming from the airport. Yeah. Um, and so let's, you know, let's not be so concerned about that kind of stuff. This has also long been true in the House, which also has a dress code. But if you would, on flyout days, when it's like the last vote before they go home, there would always be this like back off the C-SPAN camera place of the House floor, especially on the Republican side, where a lot of the members would be like in their golf attire or their travel attire. Like, so they couldn't be seen on camera and they could like vote and then, you know, get out of town and hit the airport. So uh, I think that it's... 
the people feel really strongly about the dress code stuff, though. I mean, even on the House side, especially with policing the way women dress, as more women have come mm. into Congress, right? Women Surprise. have more sartorial <laughs> options than just a suit and a tie. And a lot of times I feel like um, – Leadership sets the tone. Like you obviously remember former Speaker John Boehner. Oh, yes. Deirdre, like he was known for having incredibly high sartorial standards and would make fun of reporters and would make fun of lawmakers and and really felt like if Congress was in session and you were around lawmakers, you should be dressed businesslike and professional. And he sometimes would take it to the chair of the House chamber and scold people. I miss when that was the meanest thing that was happening. Right. On the oh, my God. <laughs> We've come a long way from scolding members about their dress code. Now we're dealing with members having physical altercations in the hallways. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. All right. One more break, and we'll be back in a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. There's a new way to support this show and public media. Please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free shows and bonus episodes. You can find out more at plus.npr.org. And thanks. And we are back again. And to close it out is Domenico Montanaro. Ooh, why? I don't know. I don't know what you can't let go of. <laughs> but before I let you talk, I'm going to go first uh, and talk about what I cannot let go of this year. Ooh, what's that? Well, there seems to be a trend in the alcohol world that I don't understand or comprehend. But earlier this year, there was a bit of a to-do about something called Sugarland's Eggo Brunch in a Jar Liqueur. Huh? Yes, this is a an Appalachian sipping cream uh, that is Eggo Waffle flavored or inspired. Eggo Waffle flavored or inspired? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of other flavors of Eggo Waffles. There's chocolate, there's vanilla. Blueberry. So, blueberry. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. This is just Eggo just Waffle waffles. booze. Is it like, tastes like syrup? I think it's like a creamy liqueur. Oh. I couldn't find it. A digestivo, if you will. Oh, there you go. I don't know. Wait, no, I just, I just, uh, I just got so excited. I (laughs) overmodulated my microphone. Oh. Uh, And then now, new, and I also couldn't get my hands on this, though I tried, is Doritos Nacho Cheese Liqueur. And this is made by a liquor company called Empirical. Impurical or empirical? Empirical. Yeah, it is impure. That's for sure. Well, but apparently, according to the Washington Post, it sounds like a stunt, but it's actually good. Well, it depends on your 
your writer. I'm not going to say I don't know, but I'm I'm a you know I don't want to say purist about this, but you know what makes a really good cocktail, Tam? Just plain old alcohol? No, really good liquor. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and so, you know, if you want to have a good cocktail, keep it simple. Um, you know, I think I make a pretty good margarita, martini, and old-fashioned. And, you know, you start with good liquor, you the high-end stuff, right? And simple ingredients. It's, it's really not that complicated. I don't need Dorito cheese uh, or um, Sugar Land, Ego Land, or whatever, <laughs> liqueur. Mixed in that. Sounds like a headache. Honestly, at this age, that's a, that's a hangover. <laughs> it all sounds like a headache. Oh, Domenico, what can't you let go of? Well, a little bit more on a cheery note, I guess. I, I can't let go of the fact that I got married this year. This Aww. is a, it's a kind of a, that's you a know. thing. I don't know. You know, what's funny about weddings is that the wedding was amazing. Like, honestly, like it was a great, awesome Texas wedding, like in a fancy barn that was never a barn. It's just intended for like nice weddings. Yeah. <laughs> But we had like Longhorns and open pig roast, corn toss. Texas even won a football game that night against Alabama, which has now put them into the national championship contention. Um, but, you know, it's funny. These these weddings are like you do so much planning for them, right? I mean, a year and a half, basically, of wow. planning for it. Yeah. And it goes so quickly. I really wish I was a guest at my wedding. It looked like people were having a lot of fun. It went so fast. This is the thing about weddings. I do have an idea, though, for caterers because okay. the food was so good. I picked out the food. You know, I know I like to cook. I picked out all the drinks that were made. Um, and I tried all this stuff beforehand to make sure, you know, that it was good. Of course. And everyone told me how good it was. I had about two bites of a taco and like some mac and cheese and like a good spicy margarita. It was great. But I wish I could have had more time. And so here's an idea. A post-wedding sit-down dinner for just the couple, ah. right? That's catered by the caterer if you really like the food. Because to be honest with you, most weddings I've been to, the food yeah, ain't that good. Yeah. That's what That was a big requirement of mine. I wanted good food and uh, people not to be waiting around for drinks. And I think we accomplished that. Well, on the night of my <laughs> wedding, you talk about no time. Uh, I felt the same way. And they took away my slice of cake before I got to eat it. No, not cool. It was it was like a strawberry mousse cake. Mm. Luckily, they did not follow my instructions to not... I said, do not save the cake top. Don't save the top layer for one year later. That's so dumb. Ew, Why would anybody gross. do that? No. But they did... And so that night I got a fork and I ate the top layer of my cake after the wedding because I hadn't had dinner. I hadn't had cake and I couldn't have gotten a was drink. It, it was, was too it much. Was it sugar land ego uh, flavored? <laughs> no. Thank God. <laughs> uh, we didn't even do a cake. This was something we were very Ooh. insistent on. We did um, a uh, we did a donut truck, uh, a famous oh, a famous Austin donut truck uh, called Gordo's Donuts, and uh, they came and rolled onto the property in their airstream and. Made for great pictures. Mm, that's awesome. <laughs> well, congratulations, Domenico. No, thank you very much. Well, that is it for us for this year. Wow. We'll be back for an election year very soon. All right. Our executive producer is Mathani Maturi. Our editor is Erica Morrison. Our producers are Jong Yoon Hun and Casey Morell. Special thanks to Krishnadev Kalamur and Lexi Shapittle. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, Senior Political Editor and Correspondent. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to the APR Politics Podcast. 